Chapter 2 While teaching at a university in West London, I had been working for a PhD on a subject with which no one among my family and friends seemed to have any connection. Single parents, or, in the phrase Toby Greenwell had used, unmarried mothers. As my supervisor remarked after I chose the subject, and she reluctantly approved, it would be a bit absurd in a climate where nearly half of women remain unwed. So, single parents. Such women in English literature was the idea, but I was still asking myself and Carla, my supervisor, if this should be extended into life, into reality. Would this make it too much like a social science tract? When my grandmother died... I had already begun reading every English novel I could find that dealt with illegitimacy or with the mothers of illegitimate children. I was living in a flat in West London that I shared with two other women and a man, a not unusual configuration in overcrowded Orties, London. The day before her death, I had visited her in hospital, where she had been for just a week, A stroke had incapacitated her without disfiguring her, but she could no longer speak. I held her hand and talked to her. She had been a great reader and knew all those works of Hardy and Elizabeth Gaskell and a host of others that I was reading for my thesis. But when I named them, she gave no sign of having heard. Though just before I left, I felt a light pressure on her hand from mine. The phone call from my mother came next morning. My grandmother, her mother, had died that night. She was eighty-five. A good age, as they say. No one ever says a bad age, but I suppose that would be mine, twenty-eight, or my brother's, thirty. We were just the age when people tire of sharing flats with two or three others, or crippling themselves with a huge mortgage for two or three rooms. But at the time of our grandmother's death, we could see no end to it. We mourned her. We went to the funeral, both of us in black. I, because it is chic. Andrew, because as a fashion-conscious gay man, he possessed a slender black suit. My mother wore a grey dress and cried all the time. Unusual for her in any circumstances. Next day, we heard from her solicitors that my grandmother had left her house in Hampstead jointly to my brother and me. I've been honest about why we wore black, so I may as well keep up the honesty and say we expected something. Verity Stewart, we had always called her Verity, had a son and a daughter to leave her considerable fortune to, and she did leave it to them, but as we were the only grandchildren, I thought we might get a bit each, enough, say, to help with getting on what's called the property ladder. Instead, we got the property itself. A fine, big house near the heath. Faye, my mother and her partner, Malcolm, expected us to do the sensible thing, the practical thing, sell it and divide the proceeds, Instead, we did the unwise thing and kept it. Surely a house with four living rooms, six bedrooms and three bathrooms and about 3,000 books was big enough for a man and a woman who had always got on with each other.
We failed to take into account that there was only one kitchen, one staircase, and one front door, congratulating each other that neither of us played loud music or was likely to have a party to which the other was not invited. There was one thing we never thought about, though why, I don't know. We were both young, and if we had none now, each had had several partners, and one of us, perhaps both, was likely to have a lover living in. In Andrew's case, that happened quite soon after we moved in. James Durain is a novelist. His books published by Andrew's firm, as were Martin Greenwell's, which is how Andrew knew about Martin's